five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. Okay, so Net Promoter Score NPS turns 20 later this year. Uh, what Bain consultant Fred Rickfield introduced in an HBR article, and it's linkable here in the PDF. So if you join the WDMA or even just subscribe, the show notes are available at WDMA.org, usually down below, but in this case, not. But it is on the end of my email over there, down there, going by slowly. Uh, so you can remember it, WDMA.org. <clears throat> so he introduced in 2003 is now ubiquitous. How likely are you to recommend? Question is asked endlessly after customer experiences, large and small. The metric that this question generates is now tracked by two-thirds of the Fortune 1000. So about 700 big companies are tracking this. And the, the ones that aren't are probably B2B or something else. Big, big uh, manufacturers that never talk to customers. Okay, former IBM CMO Michelle Peruza said, had this to say about the net promoter score a couple of years ago. It's more than a metric. One could use, one could use the word religion. Right, it's a religion. It's simplicity, but its simplicity can hamper its utility. Many companies treat net promoter score as an end in itself and not following up with other questions that can lead to real insights. Others set up skewed incentive systems with NPS tied to individual businesses. And I've read lots of those. And I've featured some of them on here. But, uh, you know, there was a car dealer that was consistently rated the, you know, the best car dealership in wisconsin or in texas or someplace and it turned out they were regularly manipulating the they they basically said they basically said here's your contract that we sign and you can have a good deal on the car but before you do you have to fill out this <laughs> this rating of our of our business and you have to put in fives if you don't put in fives the deal's off we'll raise the price now there's a way to there's a way to, to incentivize your customers. Okay, gaming the system or openly begging for higher scores. You never want to beg for higher scores. You just want to make sure you get them. I would say give it a give it a five. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Five in, on a one to five scale, not on a one to ten scale. Of course, that wouldn't be any great. Okay. Uh, Net Promoter Score also spawned a legion of copycat metrics that chase customers after every transaction. I like how Ian Bagost, I think it is, captured the current state of ratings fatigue in the Atlantic just last week. Again, you can click the article right there. You'll get it. The demand for input, input the demands for input multiply. Companies might implore you to renew the deliver, to review the delivery, the product delivered, the vendor that made it, the retailer of the, of the platform that sold it, and then they may, and maybe the support or the return experience as well. You might perceive it as a simple transaction from a singular company, but it blows up into an ecosystem of departments, divisions, partners, providers, with each one with their own business objectives, bureaucracies, key performance indicators, and associated surveys, rankings, and metrics. A $500 air fryer or a $5 power strip. A month um, months in the making medical procedure or uh, a yen for crab rangoo. Each demands rating on a five-point scale. The results of all this customer service survey ex <laughs> can 
detract from the customer experience. Oh, like it doesn't? Yeah, of course it does. Can actually detract from the customer experience. And this is the best one. This is the best from 2020. Any ideas to boost our customer satisfaction metrics? And uh, one guy says, bribe for for high scores with a gift card. Another one says, make 10 the only legible choice on the survey. (laughs) Uh, Only ask customers who are also my friends. That's pretty common. Say the survey impacts my bonus, which I need for a new kidney. Deliver a better customer experience. Oh, Amy, let's keep two ideas we can actually control. (laughs) Yeah, why work on customer experience? And that's not trivial. You know, uh, back when I was a VP of marketing, way back, before they had CMO, or I would have latched onto that title. Uh, But back when I was a a VP of marketing, uh, they gave me the customer service department, which had always been under the finance department, but they decided to put it under the marketing, or I actually lobbied for it because I said, you know, that's our, that's, that may be our biggest customer interaction. And they agreed. And, um, we made a lot of changes. Now, one change we made, and this is, this is almost the opposite of this. You don't want to take these scores too, too seriously, but we, we took away our, our, our 100% satisfaction guarantee. Uh, because we sold imprinted merchandise, right? Like this mug from from uh, KCDMA, which I guess is still going on. Kansas City, great, great organization. Gave me a mug one time. I spoke there. Um, and th- th- people would spell their own names wrong. <laughs> and then because we had a 100% customer return policy, they could return it. And the customer service people came to me and they said, you know, that really isn't fair. It's their mistake. You know, how are we supposed to know how their name is spelled? And it's not fair to our good customers. And that's an important point. Right? There's more to customer service than just customer satisfaction. There's also equity. You know, you don't want to be you don't want to be letting customers get away with murder, bad customers. You know, buying stuff and returning it after they wear it and after they do this and that to it and whatever else. And there's nothing wrong with the product uh, because that basically raises the price for all the other customers. They're all carrying the crooks. So I think you have an obligation to say no to customers sometimes. The customer is not always right. Uh, Anyway, that'll probably get me some comments. (laughs) Be sure to comment. This is live. You can comment right now. I might even see your comments on on the chat here. I guess I, I guess I could. Oh, it says log in, which originally means I have to find the fire hydrants, which I'm not going to do. Okay, the voice of the customer. Beep, 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 beep. Madam, I'm going to need to see proof that you completed our customer satisfaction survey. <laughs> right, okay, right. Customer satisfaction. Please rate your satisfaction with all the customer satisfaction surveys we keep sending you. I'm starting to regret buying whatever I apparently bought. Absolutamente. You know, nothing like fish burn. Okay, now this is a hilarious article. I, I was laughing out loud, literally. Uh, this is in the drum, which I don't consider a right-wing publication at all. I don't know. 
I don't really know. You know, I, I, I consider some of the writers there my friends, but I just thought this was hilarious. Why the Trump mugshot proves he's no mug when it comes to comms by Gordon Young. Okay, and you've probably seen the Trump mugshot, which is considerably different than most mugshots you'll see. You know, and they were they've been posting mugshots lately on Twitter, you know, well, not right now, but back a couple of weeks ago when Trump was arrested and all that. His mugshot has become an instant icon. It's everywhere. One of the few mugshots that will ever appear on mugs and one of the defining images of our time. Right. Whatever your views on his politics, and that's an important disclaimer here on this show. Because I'm not, it's not about politics today. It's about the mugshot and it's about the mug. Whatever your views on his politics, you have to admit, Trump is a master at the art of communication. Sometimes he communicates more effectively than he wishes when he's not communicating something, you know, when he's communicating something that maybe he shouldn't. But he still gets a lot of attention. Okay, to most, being arrested would be mortifying, but he saw it as a marketing opportunity. <laughs> He would have to put he would have he would have put considerable thought into that scowl. It would have been practiced and the planning ultimately paid off, oozing unbridled anger and visceral determination. All right, let's get let's get another peek at that. Uh, it's amazing, you know. The message received loud and clear was this this is a man who aims to vanquish his opponents and win the White House. Okay. And the whole episode of, at the Fulton County Jail was a news management masterclass. Even the time of his surrender was was picked to coincide with primetime news coverage. Within hours, his supporters were given the option of buying merchandise emblazoned with the mugshot. It has already raised $7 million, which is probably more than DeSantis raised altogether. <laughs> anyway, Trump also returned to X, formerly known as Twitter, for the first time since 2021. Uh, and he tweeted the picture to his 89 million followers. It was the second time he engaged with X. In a few days, uh, he did the Carson Tucker Carlson interview. I did watch the interview. I did not watch the debates. <laughs> uh, you get news clips of the whole thing, you know. And uh, it was funny. I thought his interview was, you know, really low-key. I thought that probably that's something he you know, should do often, <laughs> low-key. But anyway, Trump's pre-recorded was generally positive, contrasting his humor and bombast in, com in, in contrast with the staid feel of the official debate, where they didn't even ask significant questions, if it, from what I could take. But I didn't watch it, I admit. Okay, so he's added the Never Surrender to the MAGA, the Make America Great Again moniker, uh, on the hats, and he's got a theme song called Rich Men North of Richmond, which I have not listened to. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm promoting junk mail. What could be more important than that? <laughs> Trump, this has always uh, puzzled me. I mean, he's an ex-president, but he's got an anti-establishment anti sentiment. Trump as an outsider, you know, that's pretty amazing to pull off for uh, for a former president anyway, but his legal travails do actually, I think, reinforce that message, right? And it seems like those, it seems like they could, if they were consistent, could arrest everybody on those pretty much the same kind of charges. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. That one I thought was quite interesting coming from the drum. And lastly, 
Cool ways to use variable data printing to improve marketing results. This is from back in March 2018. You remember those day, good old days back then? And uh, it was done by Megan Nicholson. Um, I've talked with Megan on the phone, and uh, she's the marketing manager at Shuttle Strauss in Wanakee. Not everybody would be able to pronounce that, but it's Wanakee, Wisconsin. It looks like Wanakee, maybe, but it's not. It's Wanakee. Anyway, and she says there's a lot of things you can do with variable print to improve marketing results. Now, it's kind of clickbait, if you ask me, and that may be more PI's problem. <clears throat> but they talk about marketing results, but I didn't see any results listed. Okay, We didn't go A-B split from this to this, or basically a generic card with a name on it. They got the name, first name down there, as in tiny print, which I think is unfortunate. And... Uh, it says Supersonic Samurai, a.k.a. John, okay, Superhero of the Year. And this is all, you know, mocked up. This is I don't think this is actually advertising anything, but it looked like it could be a good greeting card. They said you could, you could, you could uh, customize by gender. Do you know the gender? A study was done about two years ago. Um, Epsilon offered us gender. It turns out that the gender that is is on data files is about a 50-50 shot to be correct or not. And it's the most po well-populated of most fields. <clears throat> you know, if, if it's John versus Susan, you probably have a pretty good bet. But um, you're almost equally likely to be wrong. A 50-50 coin toss would be better. And that is the problem. The problem with personalization is what data segments do you have? And most of them, you know, you say, well, they filled out the survey. Well, we already talked about the problems of surveys, okay? And the other problem is one of my big mailers asked me, well, we have customer surveys, you know. Uh, and I said, what percentage of your customers filled out the survey? And they said 5%. Well, that's good. And then you segmented into survey answers. And so you got 1%, 1%, and unknown. The 98% is unknown, you know, who didn't fill it out right or didn't answer that question. Now, I did one time <clears throat> work with the North American Fishing Club who wanted me to model the kind of fish you fish for. And I said, good luck with that. And I noted to them that one neighbor to the south fished in, uh, fished in Lake Erie, drove all the way from Wisconsin to Lake Erie to fish for walleyes or up to Dryden, Canada to fish for walleyes. The neighbor to the northeast fished on the west coast of Costa Rica. My favorite fishing is the west coast of Florida for snook fishing, right? But off the pier, I catch bass and uh, bluegills on my fly rod. And I said, so that's all in this, not only in the same zip code, <clears throat> it's all contiguous neighbors to me. I said, I don't think you can model that. They said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, how about this? When they sign up for your fishing club, why not ask them, which is your fi favorite fish to fish for? Bass, walleye, panfish, muskie, you know, pick a couple. And uh, for those who haven't, you know, who have been a longtime member, reach out to them, find out. And make it a big priority to get that one question answered broadly and effectively, and it will help your marketing. But unless you do some real work, that's the problem with segmentation. The printer says, oh, I've got a variable press printing operation. 
okay? With the amount of data collected every day about people and their lifestyles and habits, uh, you could be downright creepy. But many marketers have not gone beyond dear first name, okay? And there's a big reason. Uh, down below is 11 different elements, and here's the elements. And again, go to WDMA.org shortly after this, and you'll get uh, access to this. Here's an excellent picture because it shows $5 reward, $10 reward, $50 reward, okay, $79 room, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's, it turns out that casinos are really good at tailoring their to their constituents, okay, getting their monthly pay levels. And, and nonprofits can do this too. I remember CBN sending me a thing. You've been giving $15 a month. Thank you very much. Would you consider moving it to 20 Something like that. I appreciated the thank you. I appreciated that somebody, even if it was just a computer, noticed that I was regularly giving. Okay. Pretty good, right? And offering an appropriate incentive for each player's level. I think that's an excellent idea. That's an excellent use uh, in Ho-Chunk Gaming. Okay, speak the language. And, you know, again, you don't even need a super good database. You know, you can get public records that tell you the percentage of Spanish speakers within a census tract, right? That can be extrapolated to zip code. I have zip code languages, okay? You know, I think it's funny when I, in my zip code, get Spanish mailers, you know, usually from politicians. You know, another way to do it is to generate responses, right? So, you know... Trump mugshot could be offering a mug with in English and a mug in Spanish. You pick the the the, the zip codes where that where the order was for Spanish, and you'd have a, your own database. And you could you know you could try mailing different languages and over time refine it. It's possible, but it's a lot of work. Okay, get more donations, and here's plans for different levels of giving, as I already talked about. So Megan, I'll reach out to you and thank you for that article. I really did appreciate it. Um, it, it does highlight the main areas where you can use personalization, but there's no, there's nothing in this article that says, okay, we spent 39 cents for this postcard with no personalization except an address block. And we spent 50 cents for this postcard, which had male, female, or gender colors or different offers or different kind of fish that you can fish for. And it generated 29% higher profits or something, right? We know there's a cost difference in personalization. Is there ever a corresponding lift benefit? Does it ever pay for itself? I've never seen it, that it does. I don't, I imagine it does. Everybody talks like it does. Show me some data. Bye-bye.